This is the Relevant Life Church podcast, where we are about connecting with God, relating to people, and reaching our world. Tune in as our church goes through this week's teaching in God's Word. Good morning, good morning. If everyone's doing good, give me a thumbs up. Even if you're not doing good, give me a thumbs up. I believe in positive reinforcement. It's going to change your situation. Um, Anyway, I'm excited that you're here today. Um, If you don't know me, my name is Pastor Trenton, and I have the privilege of being on staff here. Um, There's a lot of faces that are new to this community that I do not know, and if I have not met you, I'm so sorry. Come up to me after service, or I'll try to find you, Um, but we'd love to connect. Um, I'd encourage you, I think it said it in the um, video that we played earlier, but in the back of the seats around you is connection cards, so I encourage you to fill one of those out. If you fill out the hard copy, you can throw it in the green box in the lobby. Um, If you want to do the digital version, because you're trying to be hip and technological. You can scan the QR code and you can fill out out the process through there. Um, But we really want to meet you. And if you're a part of Relevant Life Church, do you believe this is community? Make some noise. And so for those of you, maybe this is your first week or you're seeing if we're crazy or not and just checking us out and you've been here coming for a couple weeks, that's a win. Um, But we we just want to welcome you. I want to invite you to be part of this family. So thanks for coming. Um, Our lead pastors are currently on vacation and I'm like a broken record saying this, but my question is, have you yet reached out to them, encouraged and prayed for them, texted them or sent something on social media? Because I'm going to keep reminding you every week until they get back that you need to love on your lead pastors, right? Right. So if you haven't done it, you don't have to confess to me, but the Lord already knows. And I don't know, I wouldn't tick the Lord off. So uh, I, I, I would encourage you to, to, uh, to reach out to them. We love them and we want them to um, feel full and refreshed. How many people have been able to go on vacation so far this summer? How many people have a plan to go on vacation coming up? How many people are retired and your life is vacation 24-7? All right, yeah. We all envy you. We'll get there one day. No. Um, Anyway, thanks for being here today. I get the privilege to continue on week three of a collection of talks we've entitled Parables. Parables. Turn to someone next to you and say, I love me some parables. (laughs) Say it again, parables. That's not how it's pronounced. I just like changing the pronunciation of words. So uh, this word parables means a simple story used to illustrate a deep and profound spiritual lesson. A simple story used to illustrate a deep and profound spiritual lesson. What you need to know when it comes to the person and story of Jesus is that Jesus used parables all the time. Um, All throughout the gospel accounts, we see parables littered throughout, and um, it's actually kind of confusing. There's some that like go like, these are definite parables. Other people, someone's asked me to share the Wi-Fi password or something while I'm up here. Sorry. My screen was like, boom. Um, No, you can't have it. Um, Anyway, uh, (laughs) squirrel. It's fine. Was it you? Yeah, I think it was you. I saw a red heart next to it. You're the only one on contacts with a heart. Seriously, babe? Trying to distract me? Come on. Okay. Anyway, uh, what was I saying? Oh, throughout the gospel accounts, and I was finding out, yeah, so there's a lot of different parables that people consider straight up parables. And then also, if you just look at Jesus's teachings, a lot of times he just used different types of um, stories to illustrate things that we wouldn't label as parables. And so we've been diving into these things of parables. And so when Jesus used these stories, he was chalking, um, chalking them full of characters and scenarios his audience would have understood, but within them was tucked um, secrets of the kingdom of God. And I want you to understand that when we say kingdom of God, that can be confusing. I kind of just explained it in prayer. When we say kingdom of God, it's not like over in like Africa, there's like a castle and Jesus is there with a kingdom. Like that's not what we're talking about. The kingdom of God is all around us. It's invisible to the eye right now. When Jesus comes back a second time, that kingdom will come, come to full reign. But the kingdom, so he, Jesus is like, I'm coming and I'm presenting opportunity for everyone wants to believe in me as me, in me as Lord and Savior this kingdom that they can be a part of. And so he was telling these parables to try to help his disciples understand what this kingdom was like, okay? Um, And as as Pastor Ali so adequately taught us the first week of the series, the reason he did this was because he wanted only those who had ears to hear the truths of his kingdom to hear. See, um, those who were unrepentant and had already shut themselves off, for instance, a lot of the religious leaders of that day, those who were unaccepting of who Jesus was, they were now blind to hear the truths of the kingdom that God was talking about. And so this is why Jesus taught in parables. And this is why we, the first week, we looked at the first parable Jesus taught with, and it spoke about the right heart soil. And if you weren't here, go check out that message, but the right heart soil. And it talked about having a heart soil that was truly receptive and seeking. I like this word, seeking, to understand what God was talking about. Because God like, doesn't always just hand us things in a nice, pretty package. He requires faith. And so you have to seek to understand. That's why he used these parables. And so to sum this series up in a statement, it says, Jesus could have used any avenue to communicate the truths of his kingdom, but he chose parables. And I think it's important to note many of the things of God's kingdom do not make sense logically in our world's thinking. 
And so when he chose parables, yes, he was trying to confuse those who shouldn't hear, but he was also trying to get those who did not have comprehension to go, no, what does this stand for? How does this teach me about the kingdom of God? And this means that we can't just glance at a parable and be like, all right, that's, that's awesome. Cool, move on. Like, no, like you have to dive into it. And so our desire has been to understand what his parables meant and to align our action and the tra- trajectory of our lives with their meanings and truths. And I want you to get that because all these parables, every parable Jesus told, every story, sermon Jesus told was not to get a reaction of, oh, cool story, bro. Like he wanted you to go, wow, this is challenging. This should change my life. He, he wanted people to be frustrated. He wanted people to like inner reflect on what he was saying and say, how can I change my life? And so this is powerful. This series has been absolutely powerful and we believe God has so much to teach us through these parables and that's why we've taken this series on. So my hope is that if you've been with us, you have already begun that process of being challenged and growing. If you haven't been with us, I'd encourage you, number one, make sure you're here the rest of the weeks. This goes all the way through the end of September. But on top of that, go back and listen on any of our streaming platforms, so YouTube, Facebook, Vimeo, podcasts, and listen to the messages because I believe that they are timely and they are good for where we're at. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. Who's ready for today? All right. So with that being said, today's parable is known as, drum roll, please. That's, that's pathetic. Drum roll, please. This crowd just got louder, okay? Like half of you just stare at me. Move your hands. I ain't moving. All right, that's getting better. Okay. My parable today is the persistent widow, okay? Persistent widow. And turn to your neighbor, start tapping them on the shoulder and say, hey, 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 I'm persistent. I'm persistent. Hey, hey. And if they slap you, that's your fault. It's not my problem, okay? Um, I was talking to someone last week at summer camp about me having to preach this message. And they're like, you should have a youth student come up and tap you on the shoulder the whole time. I was like, no. Like, people will see how ungodly and impatient I am in that moment if they do that. So I will not be doing that. But the essence of this parable really is, as it says, about persistence, right? Persistence. And so I want to dive into that today. Um, and I'm excited to share this parable um, when we were creating the series and I selected to do this parable. I knew it was going to challenge me because my prayer life is always rough. I have struggled praying. And so I, I work at different avenues to do that. I'm like too ADD half the time to sit there and pray. Like I get distracted. So I'm like, I like learning to write my prayers. Anyway, prayer, prayer is something I'm constantly trying to get better at. And so I knew this was going to be a stretch for me. But then I started looking into the interpretation of this text and I was like, Wow, I was way off in the understanding. So I'm excited to talk to you about it today. Um, so with that being said, let's, let's read it this morning, Luke 18, 1 through 8. And I encourage you, you can read it on the screen, your Bibles. If you don't have the YouVersion Bible app, download that. All the notes are on there. You can read it on there. But it says this, Luke 18, 1 through 8. It says, Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. That they should always pray and not give up. That's the reason for the parable. And let's just take a moment and thank Dr. Luke, the writer of this book of the Bible, because most of the parables don't have someone telling you what they mean right before they give it. So I could just leave and you guys could figure out because Luke gave you the answer basically, but I'm going to expound upon it, okay? Um, Verse number two says, he said, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. Say, ooh, bad man. (laughs) Come on, that judge is a bad man. Say, ooh, bad man. Verse 3, and there was a widow in that town who kept coming in with a plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though, I, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she will not eventually come and attack me. And some other translations translate the Greek here for attack me as wear me out. So he's basically saying this widow keeps bothering me, and so I'm going to answer her so she doesn't like eventually just wear me out, okay? Verse 6, and says, um, the Lord then said, listen to what the unjust judge says. So what do you say? Even though, she, even though I don't fear God, even though I don't care about people, I will answer this widow. Jesus goes, and will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? And the Son of Man is just another name for Jesus. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? The title of my message this morning is The Key to Lasting Until Jesus Returns. The Key to Lasting Until Jesus Returns. Let's pray real quick. God, I just thank you for the opportunity to preach this message. God, I pray. God, for the heart soil, God, of every person, God, as we learn this first week, God, in parables, God, about the right heart soil, God, that we be receptive to the seed. God, I pray for heart soil right now. God, I pray that everyone would, would buckle their seatbelts, God, and be ready to learn from your word. God, they would say, God, I want something from you today, God, because it doesn't matter how much seed I cast. It only, ultimately matters what you're going to do with the heart soil they have. And so I just pray right now over the heart, heart soil. I pray um, over the words I speak. God, just give me the words to speak. God, I pray that this would magnify and glorify you and ultimately 
ultimately make us all more resilient, more persistent. And we just thank you for it in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen. amen. So by raising hands this morning, how many people would be bold enough to label themselves as someone who is impatient? Impatient. You're like, I hate waiting. Okay. Now, flip side, like how many people, it's not the flip side, but just another, another avenue. By raising hands, how many people in here would admit that they are very justice oriented? And you're like, if it ain't fair, like you're going to hear about it from me. I feel like, okay, that's fine. I feel like some of you might be lying, but um, it's fine. Because I think most humans are like, that's not fair. That's not equal. But if, if you're godly, that's fine. I won't, I won't argue with that. So I stand up here today as an honest man, and I'm going to just be honest and admit that, unfortunately, I have a lot of flaws in my life. But these two in particular, I got very large doses of, okay? And my wife, I'm sure, could pull a list of examples here, like, to keep you here long enough for the rest of the day. But um, I'm not giving her the mic, so she will not do that. And... Uh, but when I, when I was prepping this message, one example in particular came to mind. And so um, if you didn't know, Allie and I recently went on vacation in New York um, out on a cruise out of Manhattan. How many people have been to New York and Manhattan before? Okay, so quite a few of you. It's a really cool spot. Um, and let me just preface this whole story by saying we really enjoyed our vacation. We did um, a lot of really fun stuff. We had a lot of cool experiences. Neither of us have been to New York before, so this was, like, just a really cool opportunity for us. But let me just add to that by saying, like, New Yorkers and, like, East Coasters are, like, just cut from a different breed, okay? Like, and, like, if you're from the East Coast or New York, like, I love you. Um, our uh, new youth pastor coming is from the East Coast, so he might be watching online, and I love you, Jesse. It's fine. Um, <laughs> you're, you're a good guy. Um, I'll probably hear about it later. Anyway, um, and so I have so many stories to highlight this, like, and like this one has nothing to do with my sermon, but it's just so hilarious, I have to tell you. Um, we, we land in New York on 4th of July day, and it's like 3, 4 o'clock, and we are trying to get from where we landed in JFK all the way to downtown, like Times Square, where our hotel is, to drop our luggage off to then try to make it to this firework thing. That was really cool. And the guy that was picking us up was way late, okay? And so, like, Allie, like, throws, like, like you will get me there on time hat on. And so she, she scares this guy. Yeah, she's like, oh, don't tell this. And no joke. So we get in the car, and... And we hit bumper to bumper traffic, and like, I'm like, dang it, like, I hope we make this. But I start texting, I'm probably texting Allie, like, trying to calm her down or something, I don't remember. And <laughs> no, that's not what happened. But I, uh, I look up, and we're driving on the right shoulder of the road <laughs> while everyone is dead stopped in three lanes of traffic. And I, I look at Allie, I'm like, oh my, and I'm texting her, I'm like, do you see this right now? She, she's like, she put the fear of the Lord into that man, and that. <laughs> That guy was going to get us there on time, okay? And we did make it, but that's just like a little taste of New York, okay? So, like, I'm not even sure in Manhattan they know the words, like, thank you, you're welcome. Like, they just grunt. Like, they don't talk to you. Like, again, I'm really sorry. Like, this is my experience. So, and if you aren't bold walking to Manhattan, like, you're going to leave with, like, just a thicker skin about yourself. Like, you're, like, you're going to walk out being like, dude, like, I, I can move the room. Like, get out the way, okay? Um, I was telling an Uber driver, this is nothing to do with my sermon, I'm just giving you context. I have so many good stories, but I was telling, I rode an Uber in Salem for the first time this week, and I was telling the Uber driver, after coming back from New York and hearing, like, horns honk, like, every 1.5 seconds, I came back and honked with, like, like two times within, like, 24, like, to 48 hours, like, which you don't honk in Salem, like, like unless you're just ticked off, okay? And, like, one guy was too slow, and I honked, and I'm like, what is happening? I'm like, I'm like, I'm a, I'm a new man, so anyways... If you see a white truck honk at you, don't think I'm flipping you off or anything. I'm just, I'm just trying to get past you, okay? Um, anyway, so I have plenty of stories I could tell from this trip, but one in particular I want to mention this morning happened on the third day um, of our cruise. And if you don't know about cruising, um, you have what they call sea days and port days. And sea days are basically where you're on the ship and you're headed to your next destination. Ports are where you actually, port days are where you get in port and you can get off the ship and kind of explore. And so, um, on, on day three of this vacation, this was Allie and I's first um, port day. We had been, on, been at sea for two days. We got to a port um, in the, Domin the, the Dominican Republic, and we were super excited to get off the ship. So we woke up, got ready, like ate breakfast, and headed to the theater. And if you don't know, like theaters on cruise ships are like one of the larger spaces that can hold like a lot of guest capacity um, at one time. And so we're heading there. We were told, be there at 10 a.m. You'll get off the ship by 11, okay? But me being an overachiever, I made sure we got there by 9.40, okay? Like 20 minutes early. And we get in the room, and, like, it's full of, like, maybe, like, 50 to, like, 75 people, right? I think somewhere in there. And uh, I'm, like, I'm feeling good. I'm, like, this should mean we should get off one of the first, right? Like, justice-oriented. Like, this will be good. Like, I'm in the right spot. But we sat where everyone else was sitting, which was on the back left side of the theater, but as soon as we get in there, um, shortly after, we end up finding out that the doors we'd be exiting out of were on the back right side of the theater. 
And so, again, internally, right in that moment, I'm like, oh, dang it. Like, we should have sat over there. Like, should we get up and move? Like, I better get off the ship first because I was here first. Like, all this is flying through my brain. Allie's just living the best life. Like, she doesn't care. She's super patient. And I, I'm, like, I'm like, we should probably move. But they, they then prefaced and said, don't worry. Like, everyone will get off in their excursion. So, like, we selected a specific excursion. So we were going to get off with that excursion. So it didn't matter where we sat. That's what they told us. But as time went on... Um, we, we continued to wait, and the entirety of that bottom of the theater began to fill up, and then so did the balcony. And originally, they told us that you could not sit in the balcony because the balcony um, was off limits. But because it was so full, people started filling the balcony up. And so I'm still feeling anxious inside, but I keep reminding myself, like, hey, don't worry. Like, you'll get off when you need to. But, and there's always the but, okay? Someone decided, because we ported late, they were just going to open the back right, right doors and just start letting the balcony in the other side of the room, out of the room. And I was like, like, and I'm not kidding, there's like probably a thousand people in there maybe, like close to a thousand, like at least, least hundreds, okay? And I'm like frustrated. I'm like, this is awesome. I'm like, I should have moved. Like, I'm like starting to regret it. I'm like getting frustrated. But again, I'm trying to, trying to chill out because Allie's in vacation zen mode and this stuff doesn't bother her and typically she just gets ticked off of me. And so I'm like, it's fine. Like, I'll just stay calm. And to add to it, um, one of the friends we had made on the ship actually had decided earlier, they were across the way, they decided to actually get up and cut in line. Um, to get, get into the line um, because they, they were like, we're not waiting. And I was like, we should have done that. We should have gone with them. But again, I was like, no, I need to be godly and all those things. So um, at this moment, I, I'm frustrated. And I think it bears mentioning if we're going to cut in line, also I'm going to have to walk across four, like 40-ish yards in front of hundreds of seated people waiting to get in line themselves. But I'm like continually processing this and finally look over Allie and I've annoyed her enough that she's like, fine, like I give you my blessing, you can cut in line, I will follow, okay? And so again, at this moment, I was not thinking about being a pastor, okay? I was just like, I want to get off the ship, okay? And I felt guilty later, so just calm down. Like the Lord convicted me. But I decided, I'm like, okay, let's just do this. And I stand up, I take a breath, and I start walking. I make it like 10, 20 feet, and I like have dozens, if not what felt hundreds, felt like hundreds of New Yorkers and East Coasters screaming at me. Like, sit down. Like, it's not your turn. We're all waiting. Like, I'm not kidding. Like, I don't know how to, like, show you how, like, traumatic this was. Like, I've never experienced anything in my entire life. Like, I grew up in the church. People don't scream. Like, this is good. Like, I'm getting yelled at, okay? Like, I'm like, I'm about to get stoned. I don't know what's happening. And so I'm just like, this is what I decided to do. I'm like, I'm just going to keep walking. I'll make eye contact. And so I just walk across. I get to the end of the line, and people are still screaming. They made so much of a ruckus that the guy up front um, with the mic was like, please sit down, like, uh, just wait your turn. And, like, it wasn't just me that cut. Like, I chose to get up when a lot of people decided to cut, so it was just a bad time. But I'm, like, 6'5". I'm, like, tall, big guy. Like, everyone sees me, not the other people, okay? <laughs> so I get to the end of the line, and I look back across, and sitting in the seat or sitting next to the seat that I was in is my wife. She did not come with me. <laughs> So my wife, my wife that, that married me three days or three years and three days ago, like we, that was our anniversary week, decided to let me walk to the valley of the shadow of death alone. Okay, like, and, and we took a vow at the altar, this altar to be specific, that in good and bad, we'd be there for each other. But no, Allie just hops on the messaging app, starts messaging me like, you're so stupid. Like I knew this was going <laughs> to, and that's it. She didn't really do that, but in her head, she's like, you are, you are foolish. Like, you should not have done that. And, oh, man, I'm like, I feel pain right now. It was bad, okay? But I just to stand there, like, decided to stand there, stay cool. I, I end up getting out of the theater despite all the persecution. And Al, Allie decides to walk out of the theater and just cut in line in the lobby in front of, like, five people so she doesn't get persecuted. I'm like, thanks, babe. So we got off the ship, and long story short, we made it in the Dominican Republic, but I was pretty sure everyone found out I was a pastor. They knew I was a sinner. I was wearing a gray Bass Pro Shop hat, and I was, like, debating if I should throw it off the side of the ship so no one knew that I was the guy that cut the rest of the trip. Like, the next day, I tucked it in my bag and waited until I got off the ship to put it on. Like, I was like, I'm going to die. That's how I felt. Anyway, all this to be said, I, I promise I'm getting somewhere. The reason I tell you this this morning is because I think it's hard to make you understand the feelings I felt in that moment, but the feelings of, of, of frustration, the feelings of justice-oriented, this is not equal, the, the feelings of impatience, the feeling of, of wondering when I was going to get off the boat finally, I feel like in a lot of ways these feelings tie into a tiny glimpse into some of the emotions Jesus knew his disciples then and his followers now would be feeling um, post the days of him giving this parable. 
See, if you're like me, you've probably been guilty of misunderstanding the context of why this parable was given by Jesus in the first place. You may have read this parable and thought, wow, like what a good reminder it is for prayer. I just need to keep asking God for what I want. And that's an inter- that interpretation is not bad or wrong, but as I dove into this text, I found out that settling for that as your only interpretation of this text is only getting one small picture in a vast picture of what Jesus was actually trying to communicate in these moments. A good rule of thumb when reading the Bible is that whenever you're trying to interpret the meaning of the text, you need to look at what surrounds the text. So what comes before and what comes after. And when it comes to understanding this passage you just read in Luke 18, it's of enormous importance that you read what comes before it so you understand why Jesus is giving this parable. And I don't have time today to read all Luke 17 or even unpack it all, but I encourage you this week, if you have time, go back and read Luke 17, 20 through 37 yourself. And what you'll see in that text is that when he gives this parable, the persistent widow, right before it, he's talking to his disciples from verse 22 on in Luke 17 about the complex and hard to grasp idea of his second coming, his second coming. And if you don't, if you haven't like been in the church and you don't understand the theology of Jesus coming back, like that's like, I know that can be complicated half the time. I'm confused. And so I'm just trusting and believing what I know is good and true. So let me just kind of give you a quick overview of what he was talking about. See, we can see now that in scripture, prophets, um, scripture, the Old Testament prophesied and foretold of Jesus' first coming, right? The Old Testament tells us there was a Messiah and a Savior coming. And even though the people then had no comprehension of what that actually meant, looking back now, we see how Old Testament writers prophesied of this. And Jesus did come the first time. And he did die. He, he, he um, died, took our sins, rose. And in doing so, he ensured that we had fr- um, freedom and forgiveness and eternal life for everyone who calls on him as Lord and Savior, okay? That's what we refer to as Jesus' first coming. But post Jesus rising from the dead, he left earth and now he's back in heaven at the right hand of God and he's waiting for the time that God sends him back to gather up his people. Um, and this, in this moment, there's, this is, Satan's going to be bound. Sin will be like demolished. Like the, the division that we la- the division that divides us between God's presence, even so much of that's gone. Like that will be gone, and, and Jesus will come back. And so, this second time Jesus comes back is what we label as the second coming. And in Luke 17, Jesus is speaking to his disciples and referring to that second coming. And what I want us to grasp today is it's hard enough for us to fully understand all this. Imagine being the disciples who hadn't even seen Jesus dying right from the grave yet, trying to understand what he's talking about. Okay, so that's the context of this of this parable today, and I believe that has a lot of implications for us. And um, I know there's some varying um, outlooks on this parable, but I feel like I did my best to stay true to what I felt like God was speaking to me, as well as what I saw the text saying. And so I want to give you three major things I see I saw Jesus point out in this parable today. Three points. So number one, this morning is we live in a reality that does not add up. I believe Jesus is pointing out that we live in a reality that, that does not add up. And this word reality means the state of things as they actually exist as opposed to an idealistic or notional idea of them. So it's, it's the life we live. Like, it's not a dream world. It's like what you're facing and experiencing now. And when I say reality that doesn't add up, I mean a reality where there are more questions of why things are happening than there are answers to why they're happening. A reality where the more you try to make sense of a situation, the more you realize how complex it is. And I think everyone, if we're being honest, could admit that in the last three years especially, we have walked around trying all the time, trying to make sense of the reality that we live in. Going, why doesn't this make sense? Why doesn't this add up? And sadly, more often than not, I think we have attempted to do, as we have attempted to do that, we've found ourselves realizing it's an equation that's unsolvable. But like I had just mentioned, the whole reason Jesus was sharing this parable in specific was to give his followers insight in how to get through the days that were hard and did not add up until he returned. He was fully aware of the hardship and the persecution that the early church would face with the decades to come. Like he was talking to men that were going to die from being martyred for his name. He understood that reality would not add up. He was fully aware. He's the creator of the world. He's fully aware of the world we were walking in, that we are walking in thousands of years later. He knew that we would live in a world where there was violent, senseless shootings. He knew we were living in a world where division is expected, where corruption seems to be hiding behind so many leadership positions. He knew that we live in a world that morals are hardly existing anymore and sin is running rampant. And so I believe we can understand Jesus' intention in highlighting this as we look into, uh, as we look deeply into this text. And so an important thing to know in every parable is that the contents of the parable were selected by Jesus purposefully. 
He intentionally chose the setting and the characters within that parable to portray a certain picture. And often in his character selections, he would portray people like his followers. He would portray God. Um, he would portray those who didn't follow him. And so we have to look at the story and go, okay, who was Jesus trying to represent? And there's two characters, all right? The widow and the judge, right? The widow and the judge. Luke 18, 2 through 3 again says, in a, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with a plea, grant me justice against my adversary. So as we try to grasp this text in entirety, we need to answer who these characters are representing. And I first want to look at the widow this morning. And what we need to recognize about this widow and in our 21st century context is that the original audience would have understood these characters in a certain light and in a certain way. And so if we want to fully comprehend what they looked like, we have to see the characters through the eyes of the disciples that are hearing the story. See, when Jesus chose to use a widow, um, his, his, um, sorry, his disciples in the first century Eastern context would have immediately had an understanding, understanding, uh, understanding of what she symbolized. In their society, widows were often representations of those who were oppressed, helpless, powerless, destitute, deprived, lowly, desperate, someone without resources or ability to change their current reality. And I can say this for a couple different reasons. Number one, in that society, women often, oftentimes were powerless. This was a society ran by men, so they were oftentimes marginalized. So despite being a widow, they were often marginalized. But then you add on top of it, as a widow, women did not represent themselves in the court of law. The courts belonged to men as well. So as a woman in that society, your first option in going before a judge would have been through a male relative. And since her husband had passed away, that meant like because she was going herself, she had no brother, no brother-in-law, no father, no nephew, no cousin, no one to go before her before the judge. But she was so desperate that she had to go to the judge herself and try to make a case. She was alone. And so I want you to understand when he's describing this, the disciples would have been like, they would have known why Jesus was using this widow. And number three, one thing I read while studying, um, studying about, about this passage was that oftentimes in um, this context, the, the courtrooms were actually tents that just moved around. And so the judges would travel and pop up their tent, and surrounding the tent would be the judge's assistants. So anybody could, could go and actually kind of watch the proceedings take place. But a lot of times, in order to get your case before the judge, you had to bribe one of the judge's assistants to get in there. Widows were poor. Like, like, so likely this woman does not have the opportunity to make easily, make her case easily heard before the judge. So I just want you to grasp this, okay? This, this woman Jesus is describing is talking about a woman whose reality is hard. Like a lot of situations you face, it's hard. And so as Jesus is telling this parable, he's painting a picture of someone living in reality that doesn't add up, someone facing hard circumstances, someone incapable of changing their present circumstances. How many people walk through this life, sometimes you're like, I feel hopeless, I feel helpless, I do not know how to get through this. Am I the only one that looks at the, the things going around in our nation going, I, I have nothing to do to help in this situation? And the widow that Jesus specifically chose, he chose to represent his followers of this widow. He chose to represent the disciples then, and he chose to represent everyone who called them Lord and Savior now, so us. And like I said, Jesus did this because he knew there would be dark days ahead for all of humanity, but especially those who were, his, those who were, who were, who were his followers. Man, I'm tongue-tied today. And I, I was reading the story, and I can't help but wonder if Jesus was unspecific on the details of the situation this woman was facing for a specific reason so that we could all relate. If you notice in Luke 18, 3, it says, There was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. And no, he doesn't describe the, like the, the, the hardship or what the injustice looked like. He just said she's in the middle of it. And we all know from constant experience that we walk through adversarial situations and we face adversaries all the time. And what I want us to understand is that Jesus is aware that we face those things. He's aware that we're going to face them. He's aware we're facing them right now. He's not unaware. Because again, like I prayed today, oftentimes we can lose sight of God and think God moved, but he's still there. Jesus said in John 16, in this world, you will have trouble. So we, we should not be surprised of the thoughts and the feelings that say, this world we live in is not right. This isn't, this isn't the way things should be. Why is this not adding up? See, as a, as a Jesus follower, these feelings especially should be in your mind because you've come into contact with the creator who created this world. You understand his intention. You understand his heart. So when you see the evil going around in this world, it's, it's obvious that we go, okay, this does not make sense. And it won't make sense fully until Jesus comes back in his second coming. And I want to add to this, this does not mean Jesus wasn't saying he wasn't powerful. 
And he wasn't saying that he was not going to give you the strength to get through your situations. He just was simply saying, like, life will be hard. So that's the first thing that, po- that was pointed out in this parable. And the second thing is that reality may not add up, but we have a good God who cares, listens, and will respond. So despite reality not adding up, we have a good God who cares, listens, and responds. So after looking at the widow, we now need to look at the other character, right, the judge. We need to go, who is the judge a symbol of? And we can see from the text a couple things about this judge. Luke 18, 2 tells us, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. So from the statement, again, like I said, ooh, bad man, we can already tell God is trying to show, Jesus is trying to show someone that is not good. And when learning how to study scripture in college, you are taught a simple tool to interpret scripture with other scripture. In other words, what you do is you see what one text is saying, and then you, you look at the giant map of the Bible and go, okay, where else correlates to this passage of scripture? And I think when reading this verse, it would be important for us to correlate Luke 18.2 with Matthew 22, when Jesus is approached and asked, what is the greatest commandment to live by? What is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replies to the person who asks this question. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear this judge, I see that he's clearly not following the two greatest commandments. Because the text tells us that he doesn't fear God. And if you don't fear God, like you don't respect God. If you you can't respect someone, there's no way you're going to love them. So he does not love God, okay? But also it says in the text, he doesn't care what people think. And some other ver- uh, versions translate the Greek here as he didn't respect any, any person. So in other words, he's not loving anybody but himself. So I look at Jesus' description of this character and see a man that is not godly. So I go, Jesus, who are you trying to illustrate? Why are you giving us this character, this judge? What are you trying to show us? And if you spend some time in Scripture, especially in the Gospels, you'll notice that there's a habit, especially by Jesus, where he tells you who God is by telling you who God is not. So he paints a picture of someone and goes, this is what this person is. And then he flips and goes, God's the exact opposite of this. And this is what he does in this passage, Luke 18, 2. He said, in a certain town there was a judge. For some time he refused to answer this widow. But finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God, we've read this part. Um, because she keeps bothering me, I'll answer. Uh, or um, because, because she keeps coming to me and will wear me out. And then verse 6, it says, and the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones? Um, who cry out to him day and night, will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and that they get it quickly. So this character of this judge in this parable is really just there to show us who the character of God is. And what does he teach us about God? Jesus says, if an ungodly bad judge will finally give in and listen to this helpless widow whom he does not know and does not care about, how much more will a God that created you, loves you, cares about every detail of your life, listen to you and respond? And when Jesus uses this word chosen ones in verse 7, he says how much more he will respond to those who he has chosen. He's referring to what many reference as God's elect. And this word can get into like a lot of controversial theology of predestination, all these things. But simply when I read words like this, I understand is this. Jesus came and he died. And in doing so, he gave a promise that whoever steps in to, to accept what I have done and base their life on it and give their life to me, they have now stepped into this promise I have made for those who are my chosen ones. Does that make sense? So he's saying, all of you that call me Lord and Savior, that have given your life to me, how much more will God not answer you if this judge is going to answer this woman that he does not care about? And I know at this point in my message, I have to call out the elephant in the room because I can't talk about something like this and just pass by and leave it at this. I have to acknowledge a difficult issue a lot of us face. Because I know that we, we have people in here today that are skeptical and probably have doubts about who God is. And I know we have a ton of people in here who believe God is good, that he cares, that he died and rose from the grave. But to say that he's going to for sure respond, that could be difficult. Especially if you find yourself in a situation right now where you have been crying out day and night, as this text says, and you have not seen God respond. Maybe right now you're facing an incredibly difficult situation where only a miracle can make a change. And you're continually praying for that miracle, yet you have no answer. Maybe you've been horribly wronged by someone and it seems like their life is actually going really good, like they're blessed, but inside you're just torn up and your life is super hard and you're going, this isn't just or fair. That person's not a believer. Why is their life better than me who follows Jesus? Maybe here you were in a situation that had life-changing implications or maybe you are in one right now and you needed God to respond and he did not. He did not answer in the way you thought. That person died. That situation happened. You lost this. You didn't get to experience this. And that has caused doubt and bitterness in your heart. And so you hear, you hear this woman and you hear this promise 
and you're like, I want to believe it, but like, I haven't experienced that in a personal way. And I don't want to downplay anybody's questions or doubts today because I, I, in my own way, wrestle with things like this. But I want us to understand God's timing and answer may not be what you expect, but you can expect it will be the best answer in the end. God's timing and answer may not be what you expect, but you can expect that it will be the best answer in the end. And I can say this confidently for two reasons. Number one, because Scripture tells us, Romans 8.28, for example, says, We know that in all things God works together for good, those who love him. But I also can say this confidently because I know the end of the story. I know what the end of this life will look like. And we have to continually remind ourselves when reading Luke 18, 1 through 8, that the context of this passage was Jesus talking about his second coming. His second coming when he would come back and as scripture tells us would be the final judgment of humanity where Satan would be bound and all these different things. And reality, what he's saying in simple terms, he's saying everything that has not added up will add up. And so what you have to remind yourself is that even if you don't get the answer here on earth, I believe you will get the answer in eternity. It still may not be the answer you want, but I believe it will make sense. I, I wholly trust that my God is good. Even if it doesn't feel like it, I believe he has my best interest in mind. I believe he sees much more going on than I see. And so I can trust that he's in control and he is good. So when Jesus, Jesus says, Luke 18, 8, I tell you, he will see that you get justice and justice quickly. Some scholars believe that the Greek word here for quickly, because you're like, I've been praying, I haven't seen nothing quick happen. But a lot of people, um, a lot of scholars believe that this Greek word for quickly is speaking less about timing as it's speaking about the surety that the answer is coming. In other words, that it will certainly come. Certainly God will respond. And I, I wholeheartedly believe God will right the wrongs of this world. He will bring justice to those who deserve it. And this is what the founding fathers of our faith believed. Peter writes in 1 Peter 2.23, when they hurled their insults at him, and he's talking about Jesus, Jesus did not retaliate. He's talking about Jesus' torturing and death at the end. It says, when Jesus suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. Who? His father, God. He trusted him. Paul writes, Romans 12, 19, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. See, these writers understood the end. And this may not be a comforting answer, but it's the answer. And that's hard to accept, but again, that's where faith comes into play. That's where Jesus told these parables, and he knew that we had to step in in faith to understand. And I want to go, just because Jesus hasn't answered yet, God hasn't answered yet, does not mean he's not good. And for some of us, we continually ask God, like, why aren't you doing something now? There's so much evil happening right now. Why aren't you stepping in? Like, the, the, I, I go back to, like, I get fixated on certain, like, things that happen in culture. But that Uvalde shooting, I have watched quite a few videos. I watched Matthew McConaughey's um, thing um, at the White House. And I'm not trying to be political, but my heart breaks when I hear him unpack the families that lost little kids. That makes no sense. And I, I can't comprehend. And somewhere inside, my justice rises up and goes, God, why are you not doing something now? Why are you allowing that to happen? But you have to ask yourself, is it coming from a selfish motive? And this could sound wrong in light of what I just said, but please hear me out. Peter reminds his audience in, in his letter to 2 Peter, he says, But do not forget this one thing, dear friends, with the Lord a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. The promises of his return is what I understand this as. As some understand slowness, instead he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And so I'm not going to try to step outside of my bounds of knowledge or to explain something like the Uvalde shooting, but we have to understand we're living in a world where a God is standing and understanding everything. He created every person. And we have to trust that his decisions, because he's perfect, that his justice will fix the issues in this world. And it may not come now. And that does not mean that pain will not happen now. But I guarantee, Paul tells us, it's like Romans 18 something or 18, and he talks about the, the present sufferings we face are, compared, like, are not comparable to the glory we will experience. God will right the wrongs. So where does this leave us? We've discussed how this parable points out we, we live in a reality that doesn't add up. And we've also discussed now that God is good and he does care and he does listen and he will respond. But what do we do in the meantime until his second coming? Again, my title of the message is the key to lasting until Jesus returns. I believe, believe Luke 18 tells us. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. I should always pray and not give up. So my third takeaway is that the only way through this life is by prayer and never giving up. 
See, Jesus knew no, knew no matter how much these disciples wanted things to be right, no matter how much our heart breaks and wants things to be right, no matter how much they, at that time, because they saw Jesus in flesh, and he's like talking about coming back again. And I mean, for all we know, they could have been thinking like he was going to come back in five years. He's like, I'm leaving for five years. Like, I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'll be back. Like, he knew that no matter how much their cravings longed for something in the future, that it was not going to come for a while and with knowing this, his concern was whether they and us could hang on and be able to wait until his return. Would we have enough faith to last until he comes back? And sadly, when it comes to our relationship with God, we often make the issues between us and God about God's actions. Oh, I don't feel close to God. God must have moved. Oh, it's a dry season. I don't think God's speaking right now. And the temptation in our waiting for God's second coming is to let discouragement and doubt begin to distort our faith in who God is and who scripture tells us he is. In waiting, we can begin to question once what we, what we knew was true and what we knew was a strong foundation. And we can start going, start saying and going, is God really good? Like, does God really care? Like, does he actually have control? Because I hear it all the time. But a lot of times it feels like so much is outside of my control and outside of the control what this book talks about. And in this interaction Jesus is having with his disciples, he concludes the matter by saying, God will ser surely serve justice. However, Luke 18, 8, when the Son of Man comes back, will he find faith on earth? What is he saying? He says, I understand for a fact I will be back. I understand for sure. I know my Father. My Father is loving and he is just and he will make things add up in the end. But will you be hanging on to the faith that you claim now when I get back? See, we often put God on trial for what he does in, relationship, um, in our relationship with him, but God has us on trial to see what we're doing in relationship with him. A lot of times we're more concerned with God responding and God's concerned with us trusting. He's going, will you keep trusting? Even though I'm not answering the way you want me to answer right now, I'm probably doing something else that's going to add up in a different way that you can't comprehend. Will you keep trusting that I am good? And this just came to mind now, but you think humanity can't even say what is good on their own because we come out of the wound affected by sin. And if we were good, none of this would be happening on earth. So for us to claim what goodness is of God, we, we are taking a place that we have no right to take. Only God can say what is good and he is fully good. And it comes down to faith going, I believe you are good. So in order to encourage them for the long road ahead, he gives them this example to cling to of how to walk out the waiting. And that is example of this persistent widow who in verse three says, kept coming. She kept coming. She was going to get before this judge. She was going to bring the, the case before the judge. She was going to ask for justice. And see, Jesus wanted to give us a picture of someone who would not quit and would not give up. And this is where the idea of prayer comes into play in this parable. Because Jesus understood that a persistent prayer life is what would get you through this life. And I think it's important to note that the prayer Jesus mentions in this parable can be misinterpreted because many people, myself included, and this could be an interpretation of this text, but when I read it and I see it in this context, I think a lot of us hear this type of prayer that he's talking about, go, oh, it's like a vending machine. Like I go to God, and like I give the money and I like punch in what I want and I get it out. And if I don't get it the first time, I just keep punching the machine, like eventually it's gonna come out. Like that's how we hear this prayer. And I'm not knocking on making your requests to God known because God tells us to. And I believe he can answer. There are people in here today with miracles that you would not believe. I was just in Alaska on that mission trip and hearing how God came through for the pastor and his family up there blew my mind, stretched my faith. Paul writes in Philippians, in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. This is totally a type of prayer, but I believe in context to this passage, there's a bit of a different motive to prayer. God is moved by our prayers. He can do the miraculous, but prayer is not just about moving God to do something. It's about doing something in you. See, too often we treat prayer as a one-sided, dear Santa, here's what I want for Christmas request. And we allow no conversation back. We, we don't come to God with anything but these needy requests. And just as God gets to know us and our desires, we have to get to know him. That's what prayer does. It's a two-way communication line. E. Stanley Jones illustrated prayer like this. He said, if I throw a boat hook from the boat and catch hold of the shore and pull, do I pull the shore to me or do I pull myself to the shore? Prayer is not pulling God to my will, but aligning my life to the will of God. Jesus understood that prayer is what aligns our hearts to God, 
God's plan creates trust. See, Jesus understood the more we prayed, the more our faith would rise, the more our connection to God would grow, and the better chance we'd have of waiting in this reality that does not add up until he returns. And for those of you who are married, you can understand it this way. I go to my wife and I share with my wife how I'm feeling about life, the situations I'm going through. I don't expect Allie to just go and fix all my problems. What am I doing in going to her? I'm expecting I'm gonna get someone to walk through it with me. And a lot of times like, yes, and I don't wanna belittle because I, I struggle sometimes in my faith praying like, will God really answer this? I do not wanna belittle because I have seen God move so many times in my life. I know he can answer when he wants to answer. But I believe prayer is also so much about the relationship you need to get through this life. When you signed up and said, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord and Savior, like you were not just asking for salvation so you could go about living the li your life the way you wanted to. You signed up going, no, I have the promise of a God that cares and loves me and wants to walk through every moment of my life with me. And that's what prayer does. And so I believe Jesus is teaching this parable, what he knew would help us get through this life. So yes, pray to God and ask him to move. I believe God can move. I believe he can do miracles. I believe he can provide the finances that you need right now. I believe he can heal you of your sickness and your, and your illness. I believe he can, he can move in a work, a work situation that's super unhealthy and you don't know how to handle it. God can do the impossible. But at the same time, pray to God out of relationship and go, God, I need you to get through this. I'm gonna be persistent in coming and making my requests known to you so that my heart is aligned with your heart so that you can comfort and give me peace in the chaos so that when I don't understand this, I can just trust that I have a loving father that, that understands what's happening and is going to take care of it. And so my question is, how often are you praying to God? Like how often are you praying to God? Like, and that, like, that may not be like super easy. Like, I don't know, like five minutes a day, like five times a day. I, I'm not asking for a specific. I'm just going like, if you start to doubt like how much I'm praying to God, like you're probably not praying enough. And I'm not saying that you have to stop like in work constantly and just be like, ah, like out loud. But like, are you like saying a quick prayer as you're driving down the road? Do you see a situation and are you praying for that? Like is when someone tells you about something or you're facing something, what's your first response? Is it to freak out and try to, to fix it all yourself or is it to turn to the God who created this world and loves you? Prayer is one of the most important gifts that God has given us. Just imagine what prayer represents. It gives you ear to the God who created this world. He hears you. Like that's mind blowing, okay? Like that doesn't make sense. Like you have the throne room of heaven at your beck and call when you need to call upon Jesus. Why do we not use this more? Jesus thought it was imperative. He prayed himself. We see multiple examples. I pulled three. Before selecting the 12 disciples, it says that on those G days, Jesus went out to the mountainside to pray. He spent the entire night praying to God. Then he came in the morning and chose his 12 disciples. This is God in flesh. Before making a massive decision, he stayed up all night praying. Second example, he prayed regularly. Uh, says the news about him spread all the more so the crowds of people came to, near, um, to hear him and be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Why? He knew that the way to keep up with his schedule, the way to keep up with the life was to pray. The last example is when he was in trial. Matthew 26 talks about where Jesus goes in the garden. He's praying to God. It says, and he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee with him. He began to, um, to be grieved and distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. And then he goes, and he went a little beyond them and he fell on his face and prayed to God. And he said, my father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not as my will, but as your will. And you know what? The will that Jesus wanted, what his flesh wanted was that he would not have to die. That's the justice Jesus wanted. Jesus did nothing wrong. God allowed him to die and look what happened. And I'm not like, again, I'm not trying to play God and trying to make sense of your circumstances, but you have to go, do I trust my King? Do I trust my Lord? Am I going to pray? Am I going to hang on? Am I going to hang on? So Luke 18, eight, one more time. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? So what does this parable teach us? We live in a reality that doesn't add up, but we have a good God who cares, listens, responds. And the only way through this life is by prayer and never giving up. It's by that persistence. It's the key to lasting until he returns. And so I just want to close in a moment of prayer today. Um, and I want to just take a moment to pray for the, the discouraged hearts in the room. And you don't have to raise your hand. God knows. He sees you. And I think some of us are in here today and we're struggling with our faith in God. And I know that I talked a lot about the Jesus' second coming and that could be, seem so far off. But right now in this situation, 
he knows that you're like this widow and he knows that, that you're struggling. He knows that you don't have the tools to make this right, but he loves you and he cares for you. And so I wanna pray for those in the room that are facing those circumstances right now. And I wanna pray for everyone else's faith to just rise in, in this moment. So God, I just thank you today. God, that you are a good God that loves and cares. God, that you are a good God who, who, who shows up. God, a good God that decided to come from heaven to earth, God, to do what only you could do. And so I pray right now, God, I know, I know of certain situations in this room that I have no answers to provide to solve this situation, absolutely zero. God, and I, I know there's others that I have no idea about and they feel absolutely hopeless. They laid their head on, bed la- on, their, bed la- or on their pillow last night in bed and thought, how am I gonna get up and do this another day? I don't know how to get through this. And so I pray right now, God, that first of all, they would begin to pray. Each person right now, if that's you in this situation, just begin, even if it's in your head, say, Jesus, I give this to you. Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I know you did not ask me to walk this life alone, so I hand it to you. God, so I pray that they would pray. God, and secondly, most importantly, we ask for you to move. God, if that's your will, we pray for justice to come about on this earth in these situations. God, and if it's not, God, we trust that you are good and you will bring judgment and justice in the end. God, but we're trusting and we're believing. God, we're trusting and we're believing, God, and we love you. God, and theology can sometimes be hard to comprehend, God, but that does not make it not right. And so I just pray today, God, over every discouraged heart, God, that they would keep fighting, keep persisting, keep believing, keep trusting, that they would pour into their relationship with you, God, because I believe it's the key to lasting until the second coming of your son. And so we just thank you for that today. We pray that you be glorified, God, in our lives. God, as we leave this place, that you be glorified. God, I pray for the faith of the rest of the people that aren't facing discouraging situations. I pray that their faith would arise because their prayer life in you is so strong. They go to you with everything, God. They trust you with everything. And we just thank you for it today. We thank you for it today. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. Thanks for coming today, church. I know I went a little long. My apologies, but I encourage you to come back in the coming weeks. Um, The fall's got a lot of awesome things coming up, so just keep your ears and eyes open. Fill out that connection card, and we'll see you in the weeks to come. Here at Relevant Life Church, it's our mission to see people connect with God, relate to one another, and reach our world. This single statement drives everything we do as a church. Our hope is that today you were encouraged in this, Thank you for joining us and have a blessed day.